Welcome to your Living Life Legacy Broadcasting Network, and we're very, very pleased to have this opportunity to share with you uh, one of our esteemed colleagues uh, who basically is and was uh, the architect of the Faith-Based Cause Initiative. So whenever you hear us say, my FBIC, and really uh, express to you that that's a short uh, version or a short or a domain name for Faith-Based Life Legacy. The Faith-Based Life Legacy, along with our affiliates, are responsible for powering uh, the most explosive uh, outreach support program ever introduced to date that provides uh, at no cost whatsoever uh, to the actual faith-based cause or charitable organization because the cost of the technology that we provide, the cost of the executive support we provide to assist them in raising additional funds and being able to receive contributions outside their existing uh, membership and community and also being able to establish an endowment account. Those particular costs and expenses are underwritten by the Faith-Based Cause Initiative and its affiliates. So today we have the pleasure of uh, introducing to you live in our studio uh, the co-chairman. Uh, this particular individual's uh, past is in celebration for us all uh, during Black History Month and also moving into the uh, conclusion of Q1, that's the first quarter of 2021, where we've seen just um, historic uh, things happen that can certainly uh, rattle and, uh, you know, unease the, the soul and the conscience of people who live in a world of right and wrong and not in any gray area. And so we've seen things happen that we all would want to be a part of the solution. And so in doing our part in getting behind the first uh, responders with this particular pandemic, uh, which we need to be reminded is global, um, we chose to look at the faith-based, the cause-based, the charitable-based leaders that are on the front line during the pandemic. But let me share this with you. Before the pandemic, they were on the front line. And our goal is to provide them fuel. And the fuel that we'll provide them that will allow us to win the war, war being won or lost, all depends on fuel. Many individuals who do not study history do not understand that the United States prevailed in uh, both wars because they were able to have fuel they were able to have the necessary ingredient to keep them moving. We believe that our faith-based and our cause-based and our charitable-based organizations need the necessary fuel, but that fuel must be funding, additional funding, additional funding to actually fuel their ministry of hope that they basically give to the underserved community. And so when we talk about the underserved, we talk about someone uh, that had basically found it and is the co-chair of the Faith-Based Cause Initiative who's living, uh, who has lived a just incredible life, has seen a lot, has done a lot, and is about a lot. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, our co-chairman, Pastor Dr. William Reveille. Sir, how are you? I'm doing well, Carvel. Thank you much. Glad to be here today. And we're glad that you can be here. We know you have a lot of places to be, but we certainly want to hear your message to all during this particular time. Well, I, I thank God for how he has 
supported me and kept me. Every day when I wake up, I think about how things were 20 years ago, 50 years ago. <laughs> I was in a much different situation, but I had much more energy and, and my body was uh, exuberant, doing a lot of things, involved in a lot of things. and and. Uh, so when they called me and I said, Rev, how you doing? I said, I'm doing the best I can with what I got. Okay. And I uh, thank God for how he has kept me in uh, right up to this present moment. And uh, last month, January the 20th, I celebrated my 80th birthday. So I thank God for that. And we thank God as well. So thank you for <laughs> hanging in there. We can't wait for the other 20 years and then the other 20 years and the other 20 years. Yeah. I, I, I have uh, claimed uh, 120. Okay. That's what God promises in uh, Genesis uh, 3.10. And a lot, of, a lot of folks talk about three score 10 and, you know, I 79, 78. I said, you know, that's not the promise of God. That's what man has said you can live to. But God uh, gives us an idea that we can actually do 120. And I want to try to make as many of those as I can. Yes. Yep. So uh, I'm thankful for how he has brought me and kept me. I was saying to one of the young men today that uh, was talking about this colorful shirt. Oh, it is a colorful shirt. This is the African version of an American look. Oh, okay. The Africans, my tail in Africa made this. The material is very Afrocentric. And uh, the shirt is something that that uh, I asked them to do because a lot of folks are not ready to go African to African look. They don't, they're not ready for that. So this is a compromise. Oh. So it has a collar and there's buttons and, and uh, so I wear that uh, because every day I dress with my African gear. Yes. Every day. I've been doing that for well over 30 years. And uh, if I was to come on with a shirt and tie or with a suit coat like you got on, they wouldn't know who I was. Wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't believe it. Because so, I haven't had a suit on or a shirt and tie for well over 30 years. But that's part and parcel of what my, where life has caught, taken me and, and uh, uh, how I've been blessed of God. I, I think I told you that uh, because of my high school principal, who would not include me in my honor list on the graduating list, I was number five in my class, but he cut it off at four, so he prevented me from doing a lot of things that I would have normally done. 
Was that because uh, prior to that, it did go to number five? Yeah, it put the top, top five. five. Top five. And then, but when I came along, it's, he made it top four. Amazing. And I don't know why, uh, but Caleb Brown was my principal at Watson High School in Covington, Virginia. And, uh, but I think, I wish I could thank him again and again and again, but he passed away. But, uh, since uh, I made up my mind then I was going to an integrated school, I sought to get into Howard University, and that's where I uh, wound up going in 1958. When I graduated, I went into the uh, freshman class at Howard. And I went to Howard. My major was journalism. Oh, okay. I wanted to be a foreign correspondent. Hmm. And I was determined <clears throat> that I was going to be able to do that. I wanted, I could see myself in some foreign land reporting the news, what, what's going on, you know. Because I could see that on TV. That was brand new to you. But uh, along the way, and it wasn't too long afterwards because God called me into the ministry. And I was called to preach. And I changed my whole way of life, whole way of living. And, but God directed me to some of the most beautiful people that I, uh, I, just, I just thank God. Sometimes I, I have to pinch myself and think of how the Lord led me into the path of so many uh, giants in the, in, in the world. I, I can say that I knew, uh, I have a picture that I took with, uh, with uh, President uh, Kennedy. President Kennedy. Yeah. And I, I was happy because the men who made that possible were men who were well-known in the world, I mean. Around me were Dr. Leon Sullivan. Yes. Who became the uh, chairman of the board at uh, General Motors here. He was uh, the founder of OIC of America. Yes, I remember OIC. And then he left OIC and he formed IFISH. An International Foundation of Education and Self-Help. Okay, I fish. I fish. And uh, I was uh, his, uh, I headed up the minister's uh, division uh, because he was, he was one of my mentors. And I, I tell the world, I never met a more powerful man in my lifetime than Leon Sullivan. He could call anybody in the world and they would take his call. That's how well known he was. That's how his he he reached out to highs and lows. And I saw him 
as the, in iFish, we had the international, uh, we had a group that met, it was the, uh, he believed that Africans should be a bridge from Africa to America, and that Africans should walk across that bridge, come across that bridge, not walk, come across it to America, but Americans ought to be going across to Africa. So he saw it as a combination. It was coming together, helping, working together. And uh, he had these uh, African, Amer African American summits, <clears throat> and he had five of them. <clears throat> On the sixth one, he passed away. So, uh, but I was there for, for the five with him, and we, we had uh, a great experience, because every one of them, every two years, in an African country. <clears throat> and uh, African leaders from all over came to that summit, and American leaders, so the president and the president's representatives and other government officials, the, the who's who of the world came together twice, well, every other year for this summit that uh, Dr. Sullivan called. So Dr. Sullivan was a, was a great guy. Yeah. Appreciate you sharing uh, Dr. Sullivan with us when I was in Seattle, Washington, um, being in the financial world and uh, removed somewhat from the uh, community of color, if I would share that with you. Yeah. Unless, of course, you were um, Asian uh, yeah. we, and Seattle and Washington uh, had the first um, uh, Asian uh, governor. Mm. Uh, please understand, audience, that uh, that would be a politically incorrect way to respond to our fellow brothers over there. They uh, adopt themselves in uh, direct accordance to the land they grew up in. And so as I lump them in a lot and call them Asian Americans, I know that's not politically correct. So please, you make sure you find out where they come from because they have a lot of pride uh, in where they have come from. And, and no one's demonstrated that pride for African-Americans, for black people in the United States, more so than our esteemed uh, co-chair, uh, Dr. Pastor William Reveille. And so we appreciate you sharing that connectivity uh, from Africa to uh, the United States. And uh, mm -hmm. when you think about that and you uh, want to take a one minute or so to share with us your relationship with Prince Asiel, who uh, is someone that I had the pleasure and the privilege, privilege to meet through you and was very shocked when I went to his son's memorial service of uh, May uh, His Soul Rest and Be in Peace to find out that the keynote speaker was uh, the Honorable Lewis Minister Faircom. And so uh, I didn't know how that came together uh, with the Hebrew persuasion, uh, being a black Israelite, you know, and then also you have a Muslim uh, person on the other side. But when I thought about it, it taught me from a visual perspective, uh, Pastor Rebley, about togetherness, coming together and trying to do everything you can to first admit there's a problem. And I know for me, I did have a problem of an uneasiness in working with people that look like me, 
because of uh, a lot of excuses of my growing up and my teaching and being in a in a uh, actual field in my career where there were no black people whatsoever in corporate lending at Bank of America in Seattle, Washington. Mm. And so having shared that with you, when I saw the OIC building in Seattle and I got a chance to listen to Dr. Sullivan speak, it was just a amazing experience. Now, granted, there was about 500 people in the room, and I was maybe one of 10 people that were African-American, but the entire room just went head over heels. And again, I'm sure that that's the closest to General Motors that most of them ever have come other than buying a car. So right. clearly it was a, a very eye-opening event for me, and it changed my life. And since then, I've tried often and always to be cognizant of the fact that if I'm working with a fellow uh, African-American brother and sister and it feels uncomfortable, I must get over it. And I must be able to forgive. I must be able to love. I must be able to nurture. And I would basically stress the fact, forgiveness, because very seldom have I ran into anyone thankful to certainly my uh, a Jehovah God for this reason, that people, I believe, don't do anything intentionally to hurt anyone. But sometimes things happen. So if you can reach with inside your heart and follow the lead of our uh, co-chair, uh, Pastor Dr. William Reveille, I think that would be a good thing. What are your thoughts on that, Dr. Reveille? Well, I, I think that when I said that uh, Caleb Brown started my life in the direction uh, that he didn't intend to do, but he did it unintentionally as he left me off the list of honor students at Watson High School. But it began to push me into a direction and it's been like a uh, like a skateboard because I was I met so many people that I would not have been able to meet ordinarily if I had just gone to Virginia State or Virginia Union, where most of our students went, but I decided to go to Howard University. At Howard University, uh, I came there as a journalism student, and I, one uh, year, and the next year I missed and uh, went to work in New Jersey so I could get money, I didn't have money to go to school, so I had to get the money. But my auntie helped me, my grandfather was the one who made it possible for me to get there anyway. Okay. But I came back after missing the second year to take this out again, and uh, by that time, I found myself engulfed in understanding things that just I never understood before. I was thrust into knowing uh, sociology. <clears throat> Took sociology from John Staggers and from E. Franklin Frazier, one of the greatest uh, teachers who ever lived. Uh, so I was in Dr. Frazier's, uh, E. Franklin Frazier's last class, the last class he taught at Howard before he died. 
I was in it. Uh, so I learned what sociology was all about. I never knew, never knew the term before. John Staggers opened many doors for me and put me in places where I learned uh, about the district government. I was in D.C. And before I knew it, Carvel, I was, I was a full-time student at Howard, and I was being considered for the pastorate of the Union Baptist Church in Eastern Maryland. And I said, wait a minute, that's, can I, can I do all of this? Well, through the years as I came up through and developed and meeting these folks and seeing how God opened these doors and uh, just made it possible for me to uh, graduate from uh, Howard's undergraduate school, got my BA, and then I decided I'm now in the ministry, so I go to the School of Religion. I go to the School of Divinity School, they call it. And I worked on a Master of Divinity. I finished the Master of Divinity, and uh, then I went to the School of Social Work. Now I met Dr. Leon Wright, who was my my man, he was man. He, he had, in 22 years at Howard, he had given only four A's in his career, and I got number five. I, I felt very proud because, I mean, to get an A from Leon Wright, that was special. Number five happened to be your magic number. I tell you, <laughs> you boys. graduated fifth in your class, and you got the fifth A. Fifth for the A professor. from doctor. And I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, that's what happened. Yeah. And uh, he wanted me to go to law school. Okay. He felt that I would need that, and he was right. But I, of course, then being led. With my workings in and through John Staggers, John Staggers caused me to become an employee of the D.C. government. I met Walter Washington, the first mayor of Washington, D.C. Yes. And uh, I became an assistant to John Staggers. So now I'm a full-time student, and I'm full-time in the government. And... Uh, I saw my, uh, as I, as I, when I came to Howard, my pastor, Irvin Sidney Waters, was in Portsmouth, Virginia. He had been in Covington, now in Portsmouth, told me to go to see Walter Fontroy. I go, as soon as I hit town, to see Walter Fontroy. Walter Fontroy, pastor of New Bethel Baptist Church, in D.C., later became the Congressman Fondroy, and uh, also was a, he was chairman of the board of Southern Christian Leadership Conference. 
I'm saying, my God, I became a board member of the uh, SCLC National Board member, and that just opened many doors. I met so many people. And uh, when I was called to the Union Baptist Church in 1965, I just saw these doors. I'm now full-time student, full-time in the government, and now I got a pastorate in Eastern Maryland. Stayed there 13 and a half years. I was just content to stay there because it was manageable. I could handle it. But my pastor and my friend, who is my pastor today, James Edward Coates, who became the first member of the elected school board of D.C., Okay. See how these people are coming? I mean, I'm just meeting everybody. And uh, I, I be eventually joined his church, and he installed me at Union Baptist. He has installed me at every church that I've been to except, uh, well, uh, not no ex without exception, he, he installed me to every one of the churches that I've been into. Okay. And uh, when I was in D.C., because I left Eastern after 13 and a half years, I was called to the uh, Mount Gilead Baptist Church in Washington, D.C., and I already lived in D.C., so it was very easy. Well, it was there that I had the real privilege of meeting the brother that you mentioned and I, and he, he's in Chicago, and I'm in D.C., and he was, I heard he was in prison, locked up. And audience, we're talking about no one other than uh, the uh, honorable brother, Prince Isiel Ford yeah. Israel. <laughs> That's the complete name. I have really learned so much uh, from that brother just by watching his conduct with people. And so that's who Dr. Uh, Pastor William Revely is talking about. I just thought I'd throw that in. Yeah, and they sent him, the, in the, he was in the court system in, in Chicago, Ohio, uh, Illinois. They transferred him to D.C. jail. And so he's at D.C. jail serving, and, and he had been given a terrible sentence. I mean, he was, he was scheduled to be the rest of his life in jail. Okay, wow. He had not killed anybody. He had not uh, done anything that was, should be that bad to deserve to be in prison for the rest of your life. But Dr. Well, Prince Asiel was a special guy. And uh, I, I heard about him. I heard this guy was in D.C. jail, and uh, he didn't eat what everybody else was eating. So he had special meals prepared and brought into the jail. I didn't want to believe it, but I say, well, it must be true they're saying it. This brother started teaching classes in the jail. I say, what? 
So yeah, I was teaching classes, and even the gods went to his classes. The prison gods. I said, yeah, the prison gods. And I say, well, he's taking over the jail. He's not in prison. <laughs> he was. He was just so. I mean, it was just amazing. I couldn't believe it. Well, some brothers came from Israel, and a sister named Sister Zabda came to me and said, uh, Reverend Reverly, we'd like to begin a group of uh, uh, brothers and sisters. We're calling it this Unified Brotherhood and Sisterhood. Say, well, that sounds good. Say, how, how does it work? They said, uh, well, uh, we're going to come. We're going to meet with the brothers, and uh, they'll form the brotherhood, and we'll meet with the sisters, and they be, uh, they'll each have some jobs to do some things they want to say. Well, well, we can do that. So they, they organize the universal brotherhood and sisterhood in my church. And it was the first group on the uh, on our uh, on our shores for these groups to be formed. And then they said, we're going to see if Prince Osiel is going to be able to to get out of jail. I said, well, I thought that brother had all these charges and he was going to never get out. They said, well, some kind of way Prince Osiel has made an impact on the judicial system. Okay. He had met the judge who was in charge of his case, the prosecutor who was prosecuting him, and his prosecutor became his lawyer. Oh, now let me tell you about this so we can just stop for a minute. We're going to come back, uh, audience, and hear the conclusion of the story of uh, uh, Prince Asiel. But I think it's important, again, to uh, refresh yourself. And as we take this particular break, understand that the, we all are moving towards this particular uh, conclusion of the celebration of the uh, Black History Month. And what you've heard from our co-chair, uh, Pastor Dr. William Reveille, is his history, which has uh, opened many, many doors for individuals, as well as certainly my family, friends, and other members of the Faith-Based Cause Initiative. So if you go to myfbci.com, you'll see those individuals, uh, not just on the leadership page, but also in the newsroom as we highlight the fine works that they have done over the years. So we'll be back on the other side just shortly. Thank you.